0: Welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. The yearly UN General Assembly meetings were held at the UN headquarters in New York City from September 21st to 23rd, 2022. It is a time when heads of state or their representatives address the world. The occasion is used to promote, chastise, make proposals on vital issues facing their respective nation and, from their point of view, the world. Quite often, there is a disparity in focus and priorities when one contrasts the speeches from the governments of the Global North to most of those from governments of the Global South. The Global North speeches tend to justify their form of government and their economic and social policies, while the Global South speeches, for the most part, often tend to point to the disparity in wealth and resources and the reality that it is the Global North that causes more of man made climate change, creating the environmental crisis and it is countries of the Global South that bear the brunt of the climate crisis. By the way, read the term Global South. On the movement front, it's interesting that Fridays for Future, the movement founded by environmental justice campaigner and teenager Greta Thunberg, is popularizing the term MAPA, which stands for Most Effective People and Areas. They define MAPA as, quote, those communities that suffer the most from the effects of climate change. For today's show, we have selected two speeches from heads of state given at the 2022 UN General Assembly to share with you. One is a speech given by Barbados Prime Minister Mia Motley, who gave a pragmatic speech calling out the Bretton Woods Institution, also calling for changing the makeup of the United Nations Security Council and the veto power on the council by powerful nations. She challenges the IMF and those who prioritize war over ending poverty and highlighted the plight of Haiti and much more. It is clearly the voice of a head of state of a small island emerging economy. Her comments range from ending the embargo on Cuba, to ending poverty, to the reality of the impact of climate change, to the challenges of small islands having still to rely on natural gas, to ending poverty, and the imperialistic order. The other speech you will hear is from the newly elected president of Colombia, Gustavo Petro who makes a strong case for ending the war on drugs, which he says has killed a million Latin Americans and is poisoning the forests in his country by spraying pesticides aimed at killing the cocoa plant, but does much more damage to the environment. He describes a war on a plant, a war on the cocoa plant, which he says was sacred to the Aztecs and the imprisonment of those who have few options to make a living other than growing the plant. He poses the question, what is more dangerous, the cocoa plant or oil or war (laughs) and also greed? He said, world powers are becoming irrational. You know, it's important to move beyond our usual bubble and listen to other voices and points of view. So stay tuned as I think you will learn much from these leaders from countries of the global south.
1: For Pacifica Radio, I'm Christina Onestead. It's the final day of voting on a referendum in Russian annexed parts of Ukraine whether to join Russia. Ukraine and Western leaders call it a sham proxy vote, with armed Russian soldiers bringing people to the ballot and many people fleeing regions, Donetsk, Kherson, Luhansk, and parts of Zaporizhia. Russia's President Vladimir Putin's comments were translated by Al Of course, today, amid the special military operation
0: and referendums in the Donbass, saving people in all territories where the referendum is held is at top of the mind and in the center of the attention for our entire society and our country. This is natural because it's connected with dramatic events.
1: Reports say residents in Russian-occupied areas fear they'll be forced to fight in Russia's army and attack their neighbors who haven't been annexed in Ukraine. The annexation of the four occupied regions could happen as soon as Friday and sets a stage for a dangerous new phase in the seven-month war. Russia warned it could resort to deploying nuclear weapons to defend its territory, including newly acquired lands. Monday, United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres warned against such an action while marking the international day for the total elimination of nuclear weapons.
2: Now, decades after the fall of the Berlin Wall, we can hear once again the rattling of nuclear suburbs. Let me be clear. The era of nuclear blackmail must end. The idea that any country could fight and win a nuclear war is deranged. Any use of a nuclear weapon would incite a humanitarian Armageddon. We
3: need to step back.
1: Meanwhile, protests continue across Russia against its military draft. Some of those have turned violent. A young man shot and wounded a Russian military officer at close range at an enlistment office in Siberia Monday. The shooting comes after scattered arson attacks on enlistment offices and protests in Russian cities against the draft that have resulted in at least 2,000 arrests. Whistleblower and former national security contractor Edward Snowden is now a Russian citizen. President Vladimir Putin signed a decree announcing the move Monday. Snowden leaked classified U.S. documents to journalists detailing broad government surveillance programs that federal courts later ruled were unconstitutional. Mary Sherman has more. State Department spokesperson Ned Price said the United States position hasn't changed and Snowden should return to the U.S. to face justice. Perhaps the only thing that has changed is that as a result of his Russian citizenship, uh, apparently now he may well be conscripted to fight in Russia's war in Ukraine. Snowden faces up to 30 years in prison in the U.S. I'm Mary Sherman for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. Hurricane Ian has made landfall in western Cuba as a Category 3 storm, lashing the island with rain and sustained winds up to 125 miles per hour as it barrels north towards the Florida coast. The hurricane is expected to strike Florida as early as Wednesday as a Category 4 storm with winds up to 140 miles per hour. Governor Ron DeSantis warned residents Monday to have a plan and stick to it. Make sure that you have your plan uh, in place. Finish whatever preparations you have. I mean, we're, we're, this thing is coming uh, this week, and, and, and we know that, and, and we know we're going to have some major impacts throughout the state of Florida. President Biden has declared an emergency, authorizing the Department of Homeland Security and FEMA to coordinate disaster relief. Thousands rallied in Mexico commemorating the eighth anniversary of 43 missing students of a leftist college in the state of Guerrero. A report last month, commissioned by Mexico's new presidency, found the disappearances a state crime. This month, Mexican authorities arrested a retired general and three other members of the Army in connection to it. In the U.S., lawmakers on Capitol Hill have until Friday to fund the federal government or face a partial shutdown. Democrats have unveiled a stopgap spending measure through December 16th. It would provide additional support to Ukraine at about $12 billion and help communities respond to recent natural disasters. But both chambers of Congress must approve the legislation. Progressives have threatened to derail it if it includes West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin's proposal to fast-track fossil fuel projects. And the ultra-conservative Freedom Caucus in the Republican Party has threatened to derail it over immigration. Civil rights lawyers and Democratic senators are pushing for legislation that would limit law enforcement's ability to buy cell phone tracking tools to follow people's whereabouts, including years back in time and without a search warrant. The tool known as Fog Reveal has been used by police agencies to search hundreds of billions of records gathered from 250 million mobile devices about people's geolocation data to so-called patterns of life, according to thousands of pages of records about the company obtained by the Associated Press. Applications for student loan forgiveness are open today. It comes after President Joe Biden pledged to cancel student debt up to $10,000 for those who qualify. And the state funeral for Japan's former prime minister, who was assassinated, Shinzo Abe, is underway today. I'm Christina Onestead reporting for Pacifica Radio.
0: Those were our news headlines, and now we get a listen to the speech given at the 2022 United Nations General Assembly by the Prime Minister of Barbados, Mia Motley. She has caused a stir at the last UN Climate Change Conference, and internationally she caused a stir by ensuring that Barbados, which was ruled by England for hundreds of years, To drop the Queen, the now belated Queen Elizabeth, and now you have King Charles, as the head of state, and for Barbados to become the world's newest republic. She declared Rihanna, by the way, who was born and raised in Barbados as a national hero, but it was the breaking with the Queen of England that likely brought her the most international attention and spurred on the movement in the Caribbean to similarly break with the royal family, as well as to demand reparations. As a small island and as an emerging nation, Prime Minister Motley had much to say to the countries of the Global North in her UN General Assembly 2022 address. Let us go to that speech now. The Assembly will hear an address by Her Excellency Mia Amor Motley, Prime Minister, Minister for National Security and the Public Service and Minister for Finance, Economic Affairs and Investment of Barbados. I have great pleasure in welcoming Her Excellency Mia Amor Motley, Prime Minister, Minister of National Security and the Public Service, and Minister for Finance, Economic Affairs and Investment of Barbados. I invite her to address the assembly.
3: Thank you very much, Mr. President. I would like, first of all, to congratulate you on your election to this honorable assembly as its president. And as I do so, I want to, at the outset, thank the courageous leadership and commitment in very difficult times of our Secretary-General, Antonio Guterres, and the Deputy Secretary-General, Amina Mohammed. This year, we come again. And the battles continue, indeed, they've been enhanced. What we have seen over the course of the summer, and what we have seen over the course of this year, with the war in Ukraine and the concomitant consequences to ordinary people all over the globe with respect to inflation, with respect to scarcity of supply of goods, with respect simply to hardship. Access to food continues, regrettably, to be the environment within which we live. I had hoped that we would have seen improvement. But I'm now convinced more than ever that there comes a time when we must heed a certain call, as was said when others before us when I was a student sought to fight the great famine in Africa and came together as one world to make that definable difference. Last year, I asked us to do the same. And maybe it is, in the words of Jimmy Cliff, that we have to keep trying and trying and trying But the world must stand up if our citizens are to live a better life. I say so today because it is easy to come only and complain. But the truth is that it is within our power to be able to make that difference and that definable change. And we must decide whether we want to stand for peace, and whether we want to stand for love, and whether we want to stand for prosperity knowing that we choose to do so at the most difficult time and from the most difficult and deep place that we can do so in a very, very long time. I believe it is possible. But it is up to us to change possibilities into realities. Now, what do I mean? Mr. President, we have been speaking for a long time about the reform of this institution and about the recognition that there were only a quarter of the states that now exist when this institution was formed. Earlier this week, President Biden spoke of the need to reform the Security Council. We call an echo for that, but we go further because we believe that a Security Council that retains the power of veto in the hands of a few will still lead us to war as we have seen this year. And therefore, the reform must not simply be in its composition, but also be in the removal of that veto. We also believe that the recognition of the G7 countries and the G20 countries as the informal subcommittee of governance of this world if it is to be fair, must recognize that no longer can we accept that persons call year after year after year for the inclusion of the people of Africa and African descent to be included in the G7 and G20. For how can a world have at its core a subcommittee that excludes more than 1.4, 1.5 billion people of the world and expect it to reflect fairness? And transparency in its decision making. We ask that the determination be made by those countries who must understand that if we are to move from possibilities to realities, we must embrace a transparent framework that allows our people who are losing faith in their institutions and in the governance of this world to understand that fairness means something. That fairness means the ability for all to have a voice and that we can't only speak to it within the corridors of democracy within the nation state, but it will only mean something when it also is reflected in our international community. And if I perhaps have one simple theme today, it is that that fairness and that togetherness is what is needed to bring about peace, love, and prosperity in this world. And no, this is not romanticism. These are hard realities that simply require decisions. And that is why I use that language from that great anthem, We Are the World. That there comes a time when we heed a certain call, when the world must come together as one. Yes, regrettably. There are too many people dying, in conflict, as a result of the crisis. And the hand that we must lend to life comes in the decisions that we must make to reform and to fight for peace, not to fight to sustain war, wherever it is found across this world. To fight for reform so that our citizens are not made victims of poverty because of the triple crisis of climate, of pandemic, and indeed now of the conflict that is leading to the inflationary pressures that leads, regrettably, to people taking circumstances into their own hands, as we have seen in Haiti in the last week. Any attempt to increase fuel prices, any part of the world by 150% would have been met with great consternation and anger by populations on fixed income. And when that happens in one of the poorest countries in the world that has been trying for almost 230 years to find stability, and against the backdrop of exploitation that it has faced, we ask ourselves, To what end will the world stand up and be counted for the people of Haiti? Similarly, we ask for the same transparency to occur with respect to the removal of the blockade against the people of Cuba. This is the 30th year that the resolution has called for that removal of that blockade. But it has been there for 60 years. And I say simply to the people of the United States of America, do not be short-sighted in your goals. For in this hemisphere, peace and prosperity is the province of all. And yes, there may be problems on both sides, but there is nothing that justifies further hardship to people because of ideological differences. And if there are human rights differences, let us resolve them as we have chosen to do with mightier countries across the world without the imposition of sanctions. Fairness and transparency demand it of us. But I also want to talk to you about other solutions that we believe can alter our condition without imposing burdens of taxation, unreasonably so on the populations of the world. We live in a world, as I said last year, where the disparity in income is too great. And we live in a world where some are even benefiting from the crises disproportionately and egregiously. And we must ask ourselves, therefore, whether the time has not come for a review of the settlement of the Bretton Woods institutions that no longer serve the purpose in the 21st century that they served in the 20th century, that they served when they were catering to a quarter of the nation states that are now members of this August institution. We ask ourselves whether the time has not come for our voices to act collectively, to demand that through the boards of directors of the respective institutions. And why do I say so? The International Bank for Reconstruction and Development is really what the World Bank is. And maybe if we referred to that continuously, we would remind ourselves that the purpose of reconstruction and development must be appropriate to the century in which we live. And the century in which we live does not only demand of us the eradication of poverty, which remains a noble goal, but it demands of us equally the protection of global public goods. All of us in here have suffered as a result of the weakest of us being unable to rise to the occasion for the protection of public health. All of us in here now know what it is to be on the front line of the climate crisis. Years ago, we spoke about small island developing states on the front line. Because we were the canaries in the mine, today we speak of all countries and this hot, hot summer with wildfires from California to heat waves in North America and Europe, to waterways in Europe being prohibited from the ability of vessels to traverse it, to floods in China and above all else, the apocalyptic floods in Pakistan for which our heart goes out. To the people of that country. It simply cannot continue. And any attempt to deny that the climate crisis has man-made origins is an attempt to delude ourselves and to admit that we want to be accomplices in the continued death and loss and damage that ensues to the people who are the victims of it. Our people demand better of us. We believe today that the most appropriate place to deal with global public goods is, in fact, the World Bank Group. And I'll speak more to this tomorrow, but I want to simply say that if companies, multinational companies, have contributed to the global public risk or benefit from the solutions for global public goods, then they ought to contribute to their resolution through a percentage, a small percentage of their profits funding the needs of countries, whether it is in the issue of climate stability and resilience and adaptation, whether it is for the protection of biodiversity, both on land and in our waters, whether it is for the protection of public health against the next pandemic, the slow motion pandemic of antimicrobial resistance or others that we have not even contemplated, or the provision of education for each of our citizens because to remain on this earth without the benefit of education is to be sentenced to life imprisonment from a young age, or access to electricity as 600 million people in Africa do without it, or the equivalent to the right to knowledge and prosperity in our age, that is access to broadband. And of course, as I said to Congress last week, believe it or not, the right to a bank account because countries across the world are being denied the right to access correspondent banking and leaving their citizens and their economies to function as financial pariahs in a world that is supposed to be globally interdependent for the movement of capital. My friends, the provision of that fund to promote public goods at a global level is critical if we are to make a difference going forward and to achieve the peace, the love, and the prosperity to which I referred. I want to commend the International Monetary Fund for their rapid financing mechanism at the beginning of the pandemic crisis. And soon, for the Resilience and Sustainability Trust that is about to be launched, that is the first recognition that middle-income countries should be able to access funding irrespective of per capita income, but dependent on climate vulnerability. And we say that for those who commend it to the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development, do not simply commend it for countries following a disaster. But let us do it for countries before the disaster, for every dollar spent, as they have researched, saves seven dollars in avoided expenditure, not to mention the lives that are saved. We don't want only to pay the undertaker. We want to save lives. But I ask the IMF to reflect on the fact that that resilience and sustainability trust may need to be delinked from quotas if it is to be effective. I am conscious that that will depend on more countries seeding that fund with capital, and more countries agreeing perhaps to allow their special drawing rights to be used there, just as we ask them to allow those special drawing rights to be used to allow multilateral development banks to significantly increase the money that is available to countries particularly at this time as we are on the verge of a debt crisis where more than 45 countries are facing the heat of the moment because of the increased cost of capital as a result of the monetary policies that are being put in place to fight the virulent cancer of inflation. I say now that we want to thank those countries that have come together to help us continue for the financing of sustainable development goals. And we link those goals to the global public goods. Why? Because they're fundamentally the right to development. They're fundamentally the right to give each person the ability to live a good life. And we can't be lost in the conflict and lost in the climate crisis and lost in the pandemic and forget fundamentally what our mission is. I commend those who continue to remember that. But I ask for us to reach a global compact, that financing for development cannot be short-term financing, and that it needs to be at least 30-year money. The world recognized that when it allowed Britain to be able to participate in the refinancing of its World War bonds, which were only paid off eight years ago, 100 years after. World War I started. Or when it allowed Germany to cap its debt service at the equivalent of 5% of its exports, conscious that the cataclysmic experience of war would not have allowed them to finance reconstruction while repaying debts incurred for war. My friends, we are no different today. We have incurred debts for COVID. We have incurred debts for climate and we have incurred debts now in order to fight this difficult moment with the inflationary crisis and with the absence of certainty of supply of goods. Why therefore must the developing world now seek to find money within seven to ten years when others had the benefit of longer tenors to repay their money? Finally, to deal with the issue very quickly and to suggest to you that all of these things have been the subject not just of idle thought or arbitrary comment on our part. We had the good fortune of collecting in Barbados a large number of persons from civil society and academia at the beginning of August, end of July. And we settled on what we have come to call the Bridgetown Agenda because we believe it to be a Bridgetown Agenda for peace, a Bridgetown Agenda for prosperity, a Bridgetown Agenda inspired by love of humanity. And it is that agenda that speaks to the reform of the Bretton Woods architecture. We've asked and will ask countries and people to join it because we believe that unless we take responsibility for ourselves unless we accept that we are the world, we're not going to see a change. And As I come to simply this issue of climate, which will dominate us over the next 45, 48 days as we go to Egypt, let us remember that the trust that is needed to propel us to fight the great causes of our time will not be won by us breaching promises. The developing world, and in particular the small island developing states, came to Paris and agreed for a global compact. One of the key aspects of it that allowed us to do so was a promise of loss and damage. Today, the people of Guadeloupe and Puerto Rico yesterday Turks and Caicos, and little do we know what will happen with Bermuda, face The difficulty of disruption by Hurricane Fiona. Today, this morning, I received news about difficulties for our own natural gas supply in my own country and I suspect others in this part of the world because of the facilities, the installations that have been affected out of Puerto Rico for access to natural gas. This comes at a time when access to that commodity has already been affected by the war in Ukraine and the decision by Russia to cease supply to Europe. When we match this with the reality that we have not planned in granular form, how we will have the capacity to meet the commitments that we have made for net zero, and I'm a big defender of net zero, as you know, then I see trouble ahead of us. And we must pause and get it right. Our small states are making commitments that the world wants to hear. But when those commitments are undermined by the inability to supply the electric cars or the batteries necessary to sustain renewable energy, then we know we have a problem. And that is why natural gas has been viewed as a bridge to clean energy. But when the access to natural gas itself is also affected, you better understand why emerging market countries in the Caribbean and in Africa, in the Caribbean, including my own, have determined that we cannot abandon access to our own natural gas resources until we are assured that we have the capacity to sustain our populations. This is where the rubber meets the ground. And I ask us today to recognize that those commitments on loss and damage and that granular detail that matches commitment to capacity are absolutely critical if we are to make serious progress in saving our world. And we know that our world needs to be saved. My friends, I want to salute Denmark for its commitment on Tuesday to be able to propose $13 million to a loss and damage fund, for it represents the first acknowledgement by a North Atlantic country that there is a justifiable need and justice in the demand for this loss and damage claim. And I ask us to recommit ourselves in the big matters, but recognize that if we don't speak truth to our population, and if we don't explain and have the mature conversations, rather than to rely on the headlines and the song bites, we will find a disconnect between those who are governed and those who are governing. And therefore, let us to the task move with dispatch not for songbites, but for difficult conversations to secure the peace of this world, to secure the prosperity of our people, and to underpin it with a love for humanity, which is what the original purpose of this organization was formed to do. And in the words of that song again, let us lend a hand to life, for it is the greatest gift of all. And we can't pretend day by day that someone somewhere else is going to make that change. This is our family. This is our world. And this is our time to make that defining difference. And many of the things that I've put before us today don't require money, but they require a commitment and they require political will. And with the power of the pen, we can impose natural disaster and pandemic clauses in our debt. With the power of the pen, we can change the capital that is available to multilateral development banks that will remove the barriers that currently exist for us to fight poverty. With those commitments, we can make a difference in today's world, and let us do so recognizing that a world that reflects an imperialistic order and hypocrisy and lack of transparency will not achieve that mission, but one that gives us freedom, transparency, and a level playing field, will make that definable difference. Thank you very much.
0: On behalf of the Assembly, I wish to thank the Prime Minister, Minister for National Security and the Public Service, and Minister for Finance, Economic Affairs, and Investment, of Barbados for the statement just made. We're going to take a short station break and when we return, we will hear the 2022 UN General Assembly speech by the new president of Colombia, Gustavo Petro. back to Sojourner Truth. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter at Radio. If you're a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us there. And we are also heard nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. And today I'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners in the state of Alaska. And internationally, I'd like to give a shout out to our SoundCloud listeners. Uh, well, let's say in the EU, across the EU, the European Union today. Let us now go to hear the 2022 United Nations General Assembly speech by the President of Colombia, Gustavo Petro. By the way, you might recall that the Vice President of Colombia now is Francia Marquis, a former domestic worker who has become the first black woman to hold this office in Colombia. An historic shift of governance is underway in Colombia and Gustavo Petro himself rose from social justice movements. Here he is in his first address to the United Nations General Assembly.
2: On behalf of the General Assembly, I have the honor to welcome His Excellency Gustavo Petro Urego, President of the Republic of Colombia and to invite him to address the assembly. Distinguished President of the General Assembly of the United Nations, Chavo Roche. Secretary General of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres. Your Excellencies, Heads of State and Heads of Accredited uh, Missions, uh, to the 77th Session of the General Assembly. Deputy Secretary General of the United Nations, Amina Mohammed, to all of you. I come from the three most beautiful countries on earth. There is an explosion of life there, thousands of multicolored species in the seas, in the skies, on land. I come from the land of the yellow butterflies and magic. There, in the mountains and valleys of every shade of green, not only are there abundant waters, there are also floods of blood. I come from a country of blood-stained beauty. My country, Colombia, is not only beautiful, it is also violent. How can violence uh, and beauty exist side by side? How can the biodiversity of life intertwine with the dances of death and horror? Who is responsible for breaking the charming spell with terror? Who or what is responsible for suffocating life in the routine decisions of wealth and interest? Who is leading us to destruction as a nation and as a people? My country is beautiful because it has the Amazon jungle, the Choco jungle, the waters, the Andes mountain range, and the oceans. There in those jungles, the oxygen of the planet uh, emanates uh, and uh, the CO2 in the atmosphere is absorbed. One of those plants absorbing carbon dioxide amongst millions of species is one of the most persecuted on Earth. Wherever it grows, uh, they seek to destroy it. It's a plant of the Amazon, the coca plant a plant sacred to the Incas. As if uh, at a paradoxical crossroads, the jungle we, int- we try to save is being destroyed at the same time. To destroy coca, they spread poison. Glyphosate, massive amounts that run in the waters, they arrest those who cultivate coca and imprison them to destroy or to have uh, possession of coca plants, Uh, a million Latin Americans uh, die and two million African Americans are imprisoned in North America. Destroy the killer plant is a cry from the north, but the plant is just uh, one among many of the millions that perish when Fire breaks out in the jungle. Destroying the jungle, destroying the Amazon, has become the catchword which uh, states and uh, business people follow. They ignore the call of scientists who baptize the jungle as one of the major climate pillars. For power relations in the world, the jungle and its inhabitants are those responsible for the plague that afflicts them. The relations of power are plagued by the addiction to money, to perpetuate themselves, addiction to oil, to cocaine, and harder drugs that can serve to anesthetize them. There is nothing more hypocritical than the discourse of saving the jungle. The jungle is burning. Distinguished Delegates, while you may quarrel and play with it. The jungle, the climate pillar of the world, is disappearing along with all of its life. The enormous sponge absorbing, absorbing planetary carbon dioxide is evaporating. The savior jungle is seen in my country as the enemy to be defeated, as the weeds that must be pulled out. The space of Korka and the people who cultivate it because they have nothing else to cultivate is demonized. For you, my country interests you only if uh, you can spread poison in its jungle, take its men to prison, and cast its women into exclusion. You are not interested in the education of children but rather in uh, killing their jungle, extracting the carbon and uh, the oil from from it. uh, The sponge that absorbs poison is useless. Uh, You prefer to spread more poison into the atmosphere. We serve to excuse the gaps uh, and uh, the spaces in our own society in your own societies, which leave you to live in the bubble of drugs. We conceal your problems, which you refuse to reform. It is better to declare war on the jungle, on its plants, on its people. While you let the jungle burn, while hypocrites obliterate plants with poison to hide the the disasters in their own society, we we are called for more and more carbon, more and more oil, to console the other addiction, the addiction of consumption, of power, of money. What is more harmful to humanity, cocaine, carbon dioxide, or oil? The will of power has ordered uh, that cocaine as a poison must be persecuted even though it even uh, uh, causes a minimum of overdoses and more because of the mixtures uh, which uh, lead to its being trafficked. But on the other hand, carbon and oil must be protected even though their use can uh, lead humanity to extinction. This uh, is a uh, the way world power works uh, with injustice, with irrationality, because world power has become irrational. This power sees in the exuberance of the jungle, in its vitality, a sign of lust and sinfulness, uh, the sinful origin of the sadness of its societies, imbued with the unlimited compulsion to have and to consume. How to How can we hide the loneliness of people's hearts, the drought in the the midst of loveless societies, which compete to the degree of imprisoning souls in loneliness? We conceal this by blaming the plant, the people who cultivate it, the uh, secret freedom of the jungle, According to the rational power of the world, the fault is not in the market. The fault is in the jungle and those who live there. Bank accounts have become unlimited. The money of the powerful can, uh, cannot uh, be spent even over centuries. The sadness of the existence that produces its artificial call to competition is filled with noise and drugs, the addiction to money and uh, to having things has another face. A drug addiction in people who lose the competition, the losers of the artificial race which has transformed humanity. The sickness of society will not be cured by spreading glyphosate in the jungle. The jungle is not responsible. Society, educated towards endless consumption, stupid confusion between consumption and uh, happiness, is what makes it possible for the pockets of the rich uh, to be filled. Those responsible for drug addiction are not uh, the forests. It is the lack of rationality of world power. Let us illuminate power with reason. Let us put on the lights of this century. The war against drugs has lasted for 40 years. If we do not correct our course, and it goes on for another 40 years, the United States will see over 200, or rather 2 million 8,000 uh, more overdoses uh, of fentanyl. This has not happened in Latin America. There will be millions of African Americans who will be imprisoned in private jails. They will become the pawns of uh, the prison business. Another million Latin Americans will be killed. Our waters and our green fields will be filled with blood, we will see the death of democracy, the dream of democracy die, both in my America and in English-speaking America. Democracy will die where? It was born in the great West European Athens. To hide the truth, uh, that you will see the jungle and democracy die. The war against drugs, the war against climate change has failed. From soft drugs, we moved to hard drugs. There's been a genocide in my continent and in my country. It, it has led uh, millions of people to prison to hide their own uh, social flaws. They have blamed the jungle and its plants. Uh, they have filled uh, discourse and politics uh, with irrationality. I call here from my wounded Latin America to an end to the irrational war against drugs. Decreasing drug consumption does not need wars. It needs for all of us to build a better society with more solidarity, with more affection, where the intensity of life will save people from addiction and new slavery. Do you want fewer drugs? Think of fewer profits and more love. Think of a rational exercise of power. Do not affect the beauty of my country with your poison. Help us without hypocrisy to save the Amazon jungle, to save the life of humanity on Earth. You brought together the scientists, and they spoke reasonably. With mathematics and climate models, they said that the end of the human species was upon us, that... The time left to us is not even millennia, not even centuries. Science uh, sounded the alarm, and we stopped listening. The war served as an excuse to not take the necessary measures. When action was most needed, when discourse was no longer useful, when it was indispensable to put the money in the funds to save humanity, when we had to draw away from coal, and oil as quickly as possible. They invented one war after another, after another. They invited Ukraine, but also Iraq, Libya, Syria. They invaded in the name of oil and gas. In the 21st century, they discovered the worst of their addictions, the addiction to money and to oil. Wars have served as an excuse to not counter climate change. Wars have shown them how dependent they are on what will put an end to the human race. If you observe that, people, that the peoples of the world suffer from hunger and thirst and emigrate in their millions towards the north where the water is, then you imprison them, you build walls, uh, you use machine guns, you shoot at them, you expel them as if they were not human beings. You multiply by five the mentality of those who who created the policies of gas chambers and concentration camps. You're reproducing 1933 at a planetary scale. The great triumph of the war on reason. Do you not see that the solution to the major exodus uh, triggered towards your countries is going back to water in the rivers and fields full of nutrients? The climate disaster is full of viruses which are working to overcome us, but uh, you are turning even medicine into business, and vaccines into merchandise. You propose that the market will save us from what the market itself has created. Humanity's Frankenstein is allowing the market to act uh, and uh, the wish for profit uh, to reign unplanned, giving up our hearts uh, and uh, minds to it. Human rationality is brought to its knees by avarice. Why are we looking at wars if what we need to do is save humanity? What use are NATO and the empires if what is upon us is the end of intelligence? Climate disaster will kill hundreds of millions of people and Listen to this, Uh, it is not uh, produced by the planet, it is produced by capital. The cause of climate disaster is capital. The logic of relating ourselves to consume more and more, to produce more and more, and uh, for uh, some uh, to earn more and more money produces a climate disaster. It is articulated with the logic of amplified accumulation. The energy uh, drivers of coal and oil triggered the hurricane. The change in the atmosphere is increasingly deep and potentially mortal. From the lands of the jungle and beauty, where they desire to make a plant of the Amazon an enemy, extraditing and jailing those who cultivated, I call on you to put an end to war and put an end to climate disaster. Here in the Amazon jungle is a failure of humanity. From the bonfires burning after their poisoning, there is a wholesale failure, a wholesale failure of human civilization. Behind the addiction to cocaine and other drugs, behind the addiction to oil and coal, is a true addiction of this phase of human history. The addiction to irrational power, to profit and to money, this is an enormous, uh, fatal machinery that can extinguish humanity. As a president of one of the most beautiful countries on Earth, one of the most bloodstains and violent, I propose that we put an end to the war on drugs and make it possible for our people to live in peace. I call on all of Latin America to join us in this purpose. I call the voice of Latin America to be united, to defeat the irrational world that is killing us. I call on you to save the Amazon jungle with the resources that can be devoted in to life uh, throughout the world. If you do not have the ability to finance the fund uh, to revitalize uh, the jungle, if it is more important to devote money to weapons than to life, then let's reduce external debt to release our own uh, state budgets so we can carry out the task of saving humanity and life on the planet. We can do it if you don't want to. All we have to do is exchange debt for life, debt for nature. I propose this and I call from Latin America to do this. Let us dialogue to put an end to war. Do not put pressure on us to go to war. It is time for peace. Let the Slavic people talk to each other. Let peoples of the world talk to each other. War is only a trap which draws us closer to the end of time in the great orgy of irrationality. From Latin America, we call on Ukraine and Russia to make peace. Only in peace can we save life on this earth. There is no peace without social, economic, and environmental justice. We are at war with the planet, too. Without peace with the planet, there will be no peace between nations. With no social justice, there is no social peace. Thank you for your kind attention. On behalf of the Assembly, I wish to thank the President of the Republic of Colombia for the statement just made.
0: We are out of time and we want to thank the UN office. I have signed up for getting copies of these daily speeches and, and glad to share them with you. But we want to thank the staff there. Today, show produced by me, that's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank our assistant producer, Alicia Vargas, and our board op engineer today, Gary Baca. Thank you, Gary. If you'd like a copy of today's show, please contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230 or go online to PacificaRadioArchives.org. Stay tuned for Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Sojourner Truth will be back on the air tomorrow. And if you'd like a copy of today's show, remember to contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230. Go online to pacificaradioarchives.org. Sojourner Truth will be back on the air tomorrow. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Y'all, please remember to stay safe.